Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and across the table from me today, I have Pastor John Schubert. John, it's good to see you. Thank you, Jeremy. It's good to be here. It's good to see you, too. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) I had to pay you for that one. Yeah, I haven't gotten paid yet, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, today we're uh, we're talking about demon possession. It's always a fun subject to talk about. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people think that, but <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Only yeah. because it's related to what we studied in Mark recently. Yes, of course, yeah. of yeah. course. Um. You know, John, there's there's some things that, you know, we've talked about in the past of um, when you're coming across, you're, when you're studying, mm-hmm. um, you come across some things that, that are interesting, but you can't really uh, plug them into your, into your sermon. So when you were, when you were studying this passage of the demon possessed man in the synagogue, um, was there anything that you came across that, that you found interesting um, that the people might find interesting yeah so how this works is when i'm studying um and it's usually towards the later half of the week in my sermon prep when i start really looking into different um commentaries and articles that relate to the passage i'm studying uh, i occasionally come across um commentators or authors that I don't necessarily agree with theologically, and 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 yet they say things that interest me, or that are provocative, or you know, make me you know question where I'm coming from theologically or doctrinally, mm-hmm. and that's always good practice, you know, when you, to read the opposing viewpoints and make sure you understand them. And so some of those things, uh, you know, and, and that's not the case every time, but some of those things um, I come across in my sermon studies that really aren't something I'm going to put into my sermon. You only have so much that, that you can put into your sermon because of time limitations and the limitations of people's attention span. Sure. Um, just, so you, you, you try to draw together the things that are most pertinent, most encouraging, Mm -hmm. most challenging, um, to help people grasp the meaning of the author and, ways to apply it. And so there are, yeah, there's things every single week that are on the fringes or on the perimeter that I don't get a chance to put into my study sure. or into my sermon rather that sure. from my study. Yeah. And that was the case this time, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some of those things that, that you came across? Well, one of the things that, that I have been looking or has come up a couple times um, over the past month in my studies of the Gospel of Mark is this idea of Shemekah that I referred to hmm. in my sermon. But there's way more to it than my brief reference in the sermon that I found to be really interesting. And I think maybe helped explain a little bit, which is why I briefly referred to it in my sermon, the issue of astonishment in you know, all four Gospels. When mm-hmm. Jesus taught, astonishment was a common response of the people. And and up until my study of Mark, I just thought it was, well, Jesus was a really good teacher. 
and he and of course he was mm-hmm. but there was more there's more to it than just his skill and persuasion uh in his teaching and preaching ministry and it is partially this shmika thing this shmika is really a hebrew word for authority and uh shmika was something that was um concrete it wasn't something that was um you know uh, obscure at all it was concrete people knew who had shmika and who didn't mm-hmm. uh in jesus day and shmika was something that that uh certain rabbis had that came by way of the laying on of hands of two other rabbis with shmika hmm. And if you didn't have Shemekah, you could not make judgments on the law, on any Old Testament scripture. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have a private or unique interpretation um, unless you had Shemekah, mm-hmm. unless you had the authority that was transferred to you because two other rabbis with Shemekah recognized your worthiness. And so they would literally lay hands on a person and and say, now you have Shmika. Hmm. If you didn't have that, all you could do was refer to what other guys had said hmm. and, you know, say, isn't this interesting? Rabbi so-and-so said this about Ezekiel or Isaiah yeah. or Deuteronomy. Yeah. They couldn't say, this is what this means. Yeah. They could only say, Rabbi so-and-so thinks that's what it means, but another rabbi over here interpreted it this way and you know, we're sitting here wondering. Hmm. Jesus comes along and said, it is written, but I tell you. Hmm. And so that's why in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, the religious leaders came up to him and said, by whose authority are you doing these things and saying these things? Where'd you get your shmikah? Yeah. We know, we've never seen anybody with shmikah lay yeah. their hands on you. Yeah. We don't even think you've been trained formally. So... This is one reason it was so astonishing. This guy, Jesus, was standing up with all authority Hmm. and said, this is what the Old Testament text means, Hmm. period. And it was blowing their minds because they all understood the Shemekah thing. And so in my studies, I come across these guys who are saying, well, Jesus had Shemekah. And these guys that are saying Jesus had Shemekah are saying he got his Shemekah because John the Baptist was his rabbi. Hmm. And in the baptism recorded here in Mark 1 was the second laying on of hands, God the Father. Hmm. God the Father, John the Baptist laying hands on, commissioning him for ministry, he had Shemekah. A rabbi recognized by the people. He was a man of God, recognized by the people, yeah. John the Baptist, yeah. and God the Father, laying hands on Jesus, transferring Shemekah to him. Yeah. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I, obviously, not sermon-worthy, but yeah. interesting. You yeah. asked me what's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was pretty cool, pretty yeah. interesting stuff. So um, That's one of the things. Sure. Now, does that, I, as, we're, as we're working through... Um, the acts of the apostles in the student ministries um, Sunday seminar. Um, Peter and Peter and John go to the 
go to the uh, temple and they heal the guy at the temple gate. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the rabbis there ask him the same question. Yeah. You know, by by whose authority? Yeah. Is, yeah. That, is that a similar situation? It there? could be, but they, they weren't really teaching at that time. Okay. Um, they, they, it, was, it wasn't as clearly defined as Jesus's teaching. Sure. You know, in the, in, at least in this case in Mark 1. Sure, sure. Uh, of course, uh, Peter and John healed in Acts to confirm their message. Right. So they're teaching something. Right. Right? So if that's what the, if that's what the uh, religious leaders were asking them in the Sanhedrin, then it could be exactly that. Yeah. 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 But I think they were more focused on whose authority did you heal this guy with? Yeah. Who, where'd that come from? Yeah. Kind of question. Sure. Uh, I don't know for sure. You could you could probably dig a little bit into a a Jewish um, commentary in Acts and find out okay. exactly okay. whether or not they were referring to Shmika or not. It, it sounds like it possibly could, but it, it, I could see where it wouldn't also. Sure, because of the nature of that particular incident. Sure, sure. In Acts five, right? Acts Acts four three three where, when he three, healed four. the man. Yep. Yeah. Oh no, Acts five is when they're thrown in jail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Something yeah. else. You want to hear something else? Yeah. The the strategy of Mark is really interesting. He's he's a pastor. Some think the assistant pastor to Peter in the Roman Church. Hmm communicating with his flock. So he he's, he's speaking to Christians here, but I think he's giving Christians in the Roman church um, ammunition, gospel ammunition, hmm. to present Christ to their friends and neighbors in a powerful way. That, to me, is really interesting. Hmm. You know, this is called a gospel, right? The gospel of Mark. Right. It's one of the four. It's it's typically viewed as an evangelistic book. And yet, this one's clearly written to Christians in Rome. Yeah. So we typically don't view a book written to Christians as evangelistic. And yet, Mark's strategy here is to basically train his flock in Rome to be ready with an answer. Hmm. For their neighbors and friends mm. who are asking about Christ. Mm. Who is this Jesus you keep talking about? Well, if I remember, Pastor Mark said, number one, John the Baptist made a way. John the Baptist was that guy that Isaiah was referring to, yeah. that, that voice in the wilderness, you know, Isaiah 40. Um, Mark, Pastor Mark said that, that Jesus came along and demonstrated authority. He was commissioned by the by the Holy Spirit and by God the Father, commissioned, ordained for ministry, really, in the baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then immediately went out and began to demonstrate authority over the enemy, over the chaos maker, um, Satan, mm-hmm. who I think Mark would argue was the one who was behind Nero's antics. Hmm. Right? Mark was yeah. a citizen of Rome. He yeah. was... He was in front, on the front lines with Nero. Yeah. So I think, I think Mark's strategy is to help his church in Rome be able to think through and use the, the situation in which they were living for the cause of Christ, for the gospel. 
Yeah. Jesus is the one from heaven, the promised Messiah, uh, anointed by the Holy Spirit, commissioned by the Father for ministry, inaugurated as the king of God's kingdom, dominating Satan, dominating Satan's weapons, dominating Satan's focus, which is people, calling out, you know, Andrew and Peter and James and John there in chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, and now here dominating the demonic world. And I think, I think that Peter's, I mean, uh, yeah, Peter's flock and and Mark's flock are going, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what we need to talk to our friends and neighbors about. And personally, me, Pastor John, I think it's perfect for us. We're in the midst of a level of chaos that I don't think any of us have ever experienced. Sure. Politically, you know, religiously, you choose whatever category you want to put it into. This is massive chaos for us, right? And here Mark is saying, listen, the the chaos solver, the chaos solution is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And let me give you some of his credentials. Mm -hmm. That's how he's starting the book, his gospel. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think it's I, uh, the fact that we're studying Mark right now as a church is, I think, perfect. Yeah. Perfect timing for us. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you and I have talked about a little bit towards the um, how Mark finishes, how, how he finishes his gospel. Yeah. Um, you, That's you, pretty cool, too. Do you think he, he ends his gospel with the, the resurrection of Christ, but then there's this... And the empty tomb. And the empty tomb. And then he... But in our, in our Bibles, we have a few extra verses that are added in on, at yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Um, that really weren't part of Mark's writing. They didn't yeah. come from Mark's pen. Yeah. In Mark chapter 16, and we'll get to this and explain it. In 22 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least 16, because there's 16 <laughs> chapters. So um, it says, in fact, at the end of verse 8 in Mark chapter 16, it says this, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. Hmm. And I don't think that Mark wrote those verses. Hmm. I think he ended with verse 8, and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Hmm. Mark saying, listen, I know that times are scary, but this tomb is empty. Hmm. (laughs) He's alive. So it's pretty exciting stuff to end it that way instead of the way whatever scribe, you know, added here but no it's 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 really a a good study for us yeah right now yeah so like we we come to this place in the book in the gospel of mark you know at the end here mark's made his presentation his argument for the king of the kingdom one that we should submit ourselves to one who is the solution to chaos world chaos personal chaos uh he died for our sins. He's made a way for us to have peace with God, and He has risen again. Yeah. We have much to be hopeful for. Yeah, yeah much to yeah. look forward to. Even though the world's literally falling apart now at the seams, like it was in, in Nero's day. Yeah. Listen, the, our Savior conquered and died for our sins, rose again. And he's in charge, hmm. and we have much to look forward to. Hmm. So I think it's yeah. perfect timing. Yeah.
Yeah. For yeah. Us. I'm excited to get into it more. Yeah. yeah. Um, Me too. But you, your focus this week was on verses, um, what was it, 21 through 28? Yep. 21 through 28. The uh, demon-possessed man in the synagogue. In the synagogue. In Capernaum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Um, so during during my days in YWAM. YWAM? YWAM. 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 Um, yes. Uh, during those days, uh, I had one of my leaders who, who came up to me and, and said, you know, we should, we should view all unbelievers as though they were demon possessed, that they were actually demon possessed. Um, and I remember all of our children in this church, there's a reason they're acting so crazy. Well, it explains so much. They don't know Christ yet. And so they're demon Demon possessed. possessed, Yes. Yeah. Um, logical thinking. Um, but even back then when I wasn't, when I wasn't, um, thinking theologically, uh, I thought it sounded interesting and it's always stuck with me, obviously. Um, but I don't know if he was thinking, like, if this was just some random thought that he had or he, or he was taking some scriptures out of context. Um, maybe he was taking, i.e., Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, which says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he was saying that blinding was actually a demon in their soul, in their spirit. Yeah, possibly, possibly. First uh, John three eight. You you referenced this passage on Sunday. Whoever mm-hmm. makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Uh, there's also Ephesians two two, which we actually use for our assurance of pardon this week. Uh, this passage says, uh, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air." The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, John, mm-hmm. um, help my friend out who I haven't talked to in ten years. Um, why is this? Why is this poor thinking? I guess first of all, let's start it with what is demon possession, mm-hmm. um, and then and why? Why is this the thought of you know all unbelievers are, are you know demon possessed? Why? Why is that wrong? Well. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of ways we can start here, but one I would say that the verses that you referenced, if he referenced those, are not referencing demon possession. Yeah. So uh, you might want to find another verse or two <laughs> that would support that theory. Yeah. Right. These don't, mm-hmm. and we could exposit these if you'd like, but probably don't want to do that <laughs> on the co- podcast. Uh, but demon possession. So help me th- with this, Jeremy. Think through with me the occurrences of demon possession in the New Testament, just in the Gospels. Yeah. In every case, what was happening? There was a demon present, and he was inside of a human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So demon possession is a demon possessing the body of an individual. Mm-hmm. Male or female, mm-hmm. even a child, yeah. in a couple of cases, right? That that demon possessed son that kept trying to drown himself or throw himself into the fire, and his right. dad said, "Jesus, please have mercy on my son. Look what he's doing to himself." So even children. So we so to start there. Demon possession is when a demon, a spirit being, who one that came with Satan from heaven when they were thrown out. Of heaven before 
humans, humanity's creation enters the body of a human mm-hmm. and possesses them, controls them, uh, controls their thinking, their speaking, their acting. That's what demon possession is. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's real. We read of it all over the place in the, in the Gospels. Jesus dealt with it. He f- came face to face with it numerous times. Jesus' own disciples saw it, experienced it. And in Acts, it happened twice. All right? So two times we see demon possession in the book of Acts. After the book of Acts, never again do you see it. Yeah. Right. So uh, the the verses that you reference aren't speaking of demon possession of a spirit being possessing an individual, uh, they're talking about spirit oppression or spiritual or spirit influence, evil sure. spirit influence, sure. which is what I'm referring to when I talk about false teachers. I, I mentioned false teachers on Sunday morning, yep. and, and some were asking, well, why was a demon in the synagogue to start with? And I, my, my answer is, well, demons are always around false teaching. Yeah. And at that point in Israel's history, there was not biblical teaching going on in the synagogues. Mm-hmm. It was false teaching. It was a reference to human opinion. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a reflection of the purpose and intent of the scriptures written in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It falls into the category of false teaching. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's false teaching, it, Paul said it sourced from demonic activity. That doesn't mean... Every single false teacher that is out in the world today is demon-possessed, but it does mean they're demon-influenced. It means they're getting their info from demons, Mm -hmm. whatever source that may come from. You know, magazine articles, um, personal experience, anything to distract from the glory of Christ and the submission of God's people to that glory. So... Yeah, it's not uncommon today, uh, demon activity. It's just not as, I think, uh, overt sure. as it was in those three years of Jesus' ministry. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, uh, as I was thinking about these questions, I was thinking about Lewis's screw tape letters. Yeah. Um, and just, I mean, the way, the way he presents demonic activity in, in the Western world... Um, is is pretty evident, you know. It's it's, and, and, but it doesn't look like this, does it? No, it doesn't look like Mark no, One. No, some dude screaming from the back of the auditorium. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that doesn't happen. No, right? It, it, that's true, exactly. Yeah, and I I'm certain that there are demon possessed people in Yakima right now. Sure, today. Sure, sure. But I do know that demon possession is is less common than demon oppression or demon influence. I think, I think if you come across false teaching, you're coming across something that was, that was initiated by demonic activity. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, why does, why does Satan work in these, these subtle ways? Cause it, you know, when we think about false teachers, I mean, I think for the most part, we understand a false teacher. We can, you know, when they're saying something that's contrary to the gospel, we can, we can know that it's false. Um, but, but for a lot of people, they, they sit under these teachings, um, Suck and, it in. and, and are oblivious to it. Yep. Um, 
why is that such an effective tactic by Satan? Well, let me give you an illustration. If I wanted to harm you, Jeremy, um, by in any way, uh, and I walked up to you uh, with a large stick, yeah, and you knew I was going to harm you, you'd run, right? Maybe. Or shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two. But... Sure. But sure. if if I were to sneak some poison into your drink when you weren't looking, you wouldn't know to run mm-hmm. or to not drink. Mm-hmm. So Satan Satan isn't going to come flying into a setting where it's he's obviously detected as Satan. Mm-hmm. Even even unsaved people have a bad connotation or bad taste in their mouth for Satan. Yep. If you say, "Hey, what do you think about hanging out with Satan this afternoon? Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I don't care who you're talking to. That wouldn't be a first choice. But if, if and, and Satan knows that he's not stupid. He's very smart. He, he was when he was created. He was created as the pinnacle of God's created order. Yeah, beauty, intelligence, and he and he retained much of that intelligence. Maybe even beauty. He's called an angel of light by Paul. Mm-hmm. So he's not stupid is my point. So he knows if he comes flying into a room, guns blazing, he'll be identified immediately. Mm-hmm. If he comes in quietly with soft music and a smiling pastor making you feeling good about yourself, no one's the wiser. Yeah. And they walk out thinking, man, isn't this wonderful? Mm-hmm. God doesn't care how I am. How eh? God, yeah, just, uh, next thing you know, you're believing a lie. You don't think repentance is important. You don't think sin is serious. And you leave the room thinking you're okay. Yeah. And Satan has won. <laughs> yeah. That's why he does it every time like that. He's not going to come in like this guy in Mark 1, screaming from the back of the auditorium, you know, I hate Jesus. God is bad. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, does that make sense? Well, sure. Yeah. That, that that's I think he's prowling around. He's not marching around. Yeah. He's sneaking around in the shadows yeah. and behind bushes. Yeah. This is what Peter said. Yeah. And I think it's important to. I know we kind of talked about this in our angel angelology and demonology podcast a few months ago. Um, but I think it's also important to to know that Satan isn't present everywhere. Yeah, he is not omnipresent. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think we have a skewed view of that. Is is that you know Satan's everywhere and he's he's attacking all of us at the same time, kind of thing. And that's that's not the case. No, but he does have a, a significant army. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the only way he can cover territory. Right. Unlike Jesus. Right. And the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Jesus can be everywhere sure. at one time. Sure. He, can, he can be in the minds and hearts of every single believer. He is in the minds and heart of every single believer. He's present every time two or three are gathered, Jesus said, Matthew yeah. 18. Yeah. So that's not what Satan's capability is. Right, right. That's an advantage right. for us. And it, I think it's also important for us to understand that we, because we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, we cannot be possessed by demons. That's an important fact. 
we that's not possible. We're, our our available space is already taken by yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? But but it doesn't mean that Satan doesn't use his minions to shoot fiery darts at us, right? Of course not. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about, right? Right, which is why we take up the armor of God. Those things that remind us of the goodness of God in the gospel is reflected in Ephesians 6. Mm-hmm. And we're told to put on these things daily mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the minions, because of the fiery darts of those those tricks of Satan. Be ready for them because they're coming. Yeah. And I think we face them every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Something that is has demonic origins to undo you, to, you know, cause you to fear, to doubt, to question um, the goodness of God, yeah. the, the forgiveness of sin, the love of Christ. Yeah. I think those are all, they're not from God, right? There's only two sources right. <laughs> of things. And so when you doubt the love of God, that's not from God. When you doubt the forgiveness of Christ offered because of his work, that's not from God. So, yeah. 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 It's a, it's a fascinating subject, and it's one that um, I think there's, there's two spectrums to, to this thing. Is, uh, one spectrum is avoid everything supernatural. Um, it's almost like a naturalism approach to mm-hmm. to our spiritual lives. Uh, then the other is we need to be it. We need to be hit in the spiritual realm. You yeah. know, going after the demons and going yeah. after these casting these out demons. So, so what's what's your your encouragement or wisdom into how we how we move forward, um, knowing that Christ is is in authority, um, but not not shying away from the spiritual realm, but also not going after the spiritual realm, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think that we can get carried away, and obviously some uh, groups of Christians tend that way more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we may be maybe guilty of, of ignoring it more than we should. But I, I think we ought to believe what Scripture says, you know, that, that the enemy is conquered, that he is thrown out, that he is defeated, mm-hmm. and that we are in God's family as citizens of light. And Satan has no authority over us, no power over us. Um, and as long as we are walking with Christ and in tune with our Savior, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we're in a good place. Mm-hmm. We don't have to fear what Satan can do to us. Mm-hmm. He can do nothing to us mm-hmm. outside of God's will. You remember Jesus said to Peter that Satan has asked to sift you, yeah. to test you, yeah. to make it hard on you. Yeah. And But Jesus said, but I've prayed for you so that you'll return. <laughs> In other words, Peter, you're going to be fine, but it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And that may be you know, God's will for us. We, maybe Christ has allowed or will allow Satan to sift us like he sifted Peter, like he sifted Job. You know, when we go through trials and and extreme temptations in the Christian life, I have no doubt where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. It's the enemy. It's Mm -hmm. Satan. It's the chaos causer. And that is allowed by God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. 
which is why Jesus told us in Matthew 6 to pray like this, and lead us not into temptation, to mm. temptation, mm-hmm. but deliver us from evil. Mm. Why? Because he, <laughs> this is God's kingdom. He's in charge. Lord, spare us from things that would undo us. Yeah. Spare us from things that would discourage us, that would keep our, take our eyes off of Christ. Jesus said, pray this. Lord, lead us, Father, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yeah. So yeah. That's, I, that's where we should live daily, asking for God's protection, asking God to give us uh, spiritual eyes to see Christ, to see his, his word applied to our daily circumstances, yeah. and not fear the enemy. He's got nothing. Nothing. I mean, he's powerful, he's wise. Smarter than all of us put together, uh, but we are in God's family, yeah, and we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think your your encouragement to the church on Sunday was was spot on. Of just the the war is won. It is where we have skirmishes, skirmishes, yeah. mm-hmm. but the war is won, right? And so we we fight these skirmishes yeah. until until glory. We're putting out hot embers, but that's it. Yeah, fires out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. awesome. Well, uh, I think your uh, your final word there of you know lead us not into temptation is mm-hmm. is a great way to go out because this Sunday Rick's going to be getting into the Lord's Prayer in Matthew Matthew chapter six. So awesome! I'm excited for that. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thanks for your encouragement uh, and your wisdom and this insight uh, wisdom into this topic. Yeah. Um, Church, we love you. Look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice Valley. Have a great day.